Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Sam-free episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. I know how often Sam is the thing that people are clamoring to have more of, and yet this week you got no Sam. I'm apologizing to our Sam-centric fans. No Sam this week. That is a sad thing. Tyler, it's it's just you and me, and uh, we're going to get through it, but yet again, no Sam. He's out vacationing. Um I don't know. Taylor Swift has Swifties. I know we have the equivalent of that for Sam here on the podcast. Oh, I'm Sammy's. Sammy's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dykstra just doesn't really work for that kind of thing. So they're yeah. just called Sammy's. Sammy Nation. <laughs> and, um, we apologize to all the Sammy's out there. Yeah. Two straight weeks must be nice, Sam. Jeez Louise. Get some work done. Yeah. No, he's not considered. He's not really a considerate person and not really thinking about what we have to do in his absence. Well, hey, welcome into this week's episode of the official podcast of Minor League Baseball, the show before the show. My name is Tyler Mon. Benjamin Hill is in New York City. Uh, we got a fun episode coming up for you this week. We are at long last going to get a chance to talk with Dan Simon of Studio Simon, who I don't believe we've ever had on the podcast before somehow, Ben. No, that's weird because, um, you know, through, through my entire career and uh, you know, the time that you and Sam have been here, we talked a lot about logos. And of course, there's a lot of different logo designers out there. And we can get surprised with like, oh, I've never heard of that company or this team went with the local brand. But big picture for the last better part of the last two decades, when a minor league team rebrands, chances are it's either Brandiose or Studio Simon. So we've talked about uh, the work of both a lot. And I actually don't think we've ever had you know, Jason or Casey from yeah, Brandy. I don't think we have either. Just very strange. But today we got Dan Simon on, and I think it's something we'll do more often. You know, Dan will definitely be happy to come on as a guest, uh, as a guest again, and he can offer so much uh, in- insight into the industry and the branding process in minor league baseball. And uh, yeah, we got to get on that. I think the problem is, you know, we're always so focused on what's happening now that we're going straight to the source with like the team. And, uh, you know, that's what our listeners expect. Breaking news now. But sometimes we have to draw back a little bit. And, yeah, we gotta go. Uh, we gotta go to the well, the font of all of that creativity, and we did that this week, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, we're gonna get a chance to talk about the newest identity in minor league baseball, just unveiled today. In fact, as we are recording on November 16th, uh, and that is the new identity of the Rome Emperors, uh, formerly named after their parent club in Atlanta, no longer. Rome, which uh, did have a logo that kind of paid homage to uh, the name of the town. They had an R with a baseball and a a Roman column behind it. Uh, But now they have gone with a full embrace of their uh, their town's name and heritage and uh, a really cool new identity uh, in the Rome Emperor. So we'll talk with Dan Simon coming up about that. Josh Jackson will be stopping by with Coastal of the Miners uh, in just a little while. And uh, we have entered a, a quiet time on the baseball calendar. Uh, obviously, the, the minor league rebrand season continuing. And um, we, we talked Greensboro. We're talking Rome today. Uh, but there have also been a handful of other identities that have uh, come out in recent days and weeks. Um, ben, it's sort of alternate identity season, I guess, as, as Logo Vember continues. And we're going to get a little bit of an insight into just how long it takes for some of this stuff to come together uh, when we talk with Dan here in a little bit. But um, what's been popping up uh, on your radar as far as some of these alternate identities? 
Yeah, it's been a pretty big week for that kind of thing. You know, not a lot of full-scale rebranding um, this offseason. But, of course, uh, throughout the day, uh, yesterday, today, uh, this week in general, been a lot of uh, alternate marks coming out. Things like the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, you know, who probably have more alternate identities and alternate marks uh, than any team. On Saturdays this year, they're doing a Pennsylvania Dutch-inspired hex uniform. So it's got that... PA Dutch, uh, I want to say Amish style. I don't know if it's explicitly Amish, but they have Saturday uniforms in PA Dutch font uh, with hex marks on it. And they're using it to apparently hex their opponents and keep their ballpark safe. So that's a new one from Lehigh Valley on Saturdays this year. Uh, Today, the day this podcast comes out, the Lake Elsinore Storm are offering a revised version of their iconic Storm logo. So keep an eye out for that. It should be out right around the time this podcast comes out. Or keep two uh, eyes out for it. Yeah, keep two eyes out for it. Thank you, Tyler. Um, the I got to fill the void of Sam's jokes while he's not here. I got to be. I got to be able to do them. It's a huge void to fill. We miss you, Sam. Uh, the Erie Sea Wolves. You know they have the Howling Dead identity, which I believe they announced last year. Uh, they announced they now have a dead red. Howling Dead uh, cap that they'll wear in 2024. That is out now. What else do we got? What else do we got? I know there's been more than that. Uh, the Winston-Salem Dash, the Golden Age Collection, taking you into quote-unquote roaring 2024. It's a 1920s-inspired alternate identity, also a Saturday identity. Um, they're going to wear the Golden Age Collection, you know, pinstripes and a... Uh, prohibition era feel if you will and a gangster type feel fantastic um so that's a pretty sharp one uh, harkening back to uh 100 years ago uh what else do we got i feel like maybe that's about all i have for right now i feel like it was more than that a lot of stuff has been dropping recently um the pensacola blue wahoos we're recording this on thursday uh in the early afternoon eastern time The Blue Wahoos will make a special announcement at 2 o'clock today. So by the time you hear this, this announcement will be out. And uh, it'll be the unveiling of an international event coming to Pensacola as part of their COPA uh, identity, which is, I always get the pronunciation wrong. Tyler, Pac-to-Pac? I think it is is Pac-to-Pac because I think we corrected ourselves to saying it was Poke-to-Poke. And then we read somewhere that it was pock to pock. But now that I'm saying that, I'm, my brain is like, no, you have it backwards. Yeah, I've had so much problems with this that now I can't get it right. But regardless of the exact pronunciation, you know, that's a reference or an homage to the earliest ball sport played in the Americas back thousands of years ago. So if the Pensacola Blue Wahoos have an international event coming to their ballpark in April 2024 tied into Copa, I'm really hoping that is people playing this ancient game of Pac to Pac. So uh, go look into that right now because that information is out for you, the podcast listener. It just has not been unveiled at the time that Tyler and I are talking. So a lot of uh, little odds and ends going on, Saturday uniforms, alternate identities, international events. Uh, Of course, uh, as Tyler has mentioned, uh, Rome Emperor is out with their new identity last night and uh, a couple more in the works in the coming weeks for that as well. And, you know, we'll stay on it. All right, Ben. Uh, newsletter continuing in the uh, in the dearth of the off season. Is it dearth? Is that how you say that word? We've got a thing coming up with Dan Simon where we talk about those difficult words that you never exactly remember how to pronounce. Anyway, we'll go with dearth. Um, I am currently in the South for uh, for a work trip. I'm in Mobile, Alabama, um, and you have some uh, food reviews from ballpark trips through the South, which I feel like have to have some of the best ballpark food on the planet uh give us some of the highlights yeah well first of all i'd say it's not the dearth of the offseason dearth means like a lack so sometimes in this time of year there might be a dearth of things to write about or cover it's really the dearth of the season because there is no season as of right now this is the most plentiful time of offseason we have all kinds of offseason yes which means there is a dearth of uh, relevant information going on at, at yeah. certain points, which allows me to do things um, such as continue my newsletter and MILB.com series, uh, rounding up all the food that I experienced or had my designated eaters experience at ballparks this year. I already had a roundup of my first trip of the season in the Pacific Northwest. 
This one covers Birmingham, Montgomery, uh, Pensacola, and Biloxi. And some of this stuff I didn't, you know, put up on the newsletter or in articles before. Some of it I just hadn't gotten around to. So it's great to have it all in one place. Uh, Birmingham, you know, the Magic City Dog, which is a sausage from uh, local Dreamland Barbecue. Uh, smothered in coleslaw and spicy sauces and you know so that's a really good one um but i didn't have a designated eater in birmingham and i really should have just recruited one on site and i didn't so i didn't go too deep in their food i did go to two local barbecue places in birmingham though jim and nick's which i really enjoyed and then also saws s-a-w-s which has multiple locations in the area and they had this famous like pork and greens dish which is a bed of like cheese grits with greens and then pulled pork on top of that and then topped with like fried onion straws. So Birmingham, you know, no shortage of barbecue. They have Dreamland barbecue products at Regions Field, home of the Birmingham Barons. Uh, Montgomery Biscuits. Of course, uh, we had a biscuit dish with the Nashville hot chicken biscuit. You can just get plain biscuits if you want, you know, being in Montgomery, visiting a team called the Biscuits as a kiosk that is called Biscuits, of course. Uh, but they've got a range of creative stuff. Uh, they had the Frito pie dog, you know, which is Frito pie ingredients on top of a hot dog. You know, Frito pie is more like a casserole. It's really good. Um, but they put that kind of stuff on, you know, the beans, cheese, meat uh, on the dog itself. Um, they have good Philly cheesesteak nachos in Montgomery. You know, I grew up near Philadelphia and I know a lot of people get a little uh, protective of people just calling anything a Philly cheesesteak. I don't really worry about it about it too much and i think it's cool that ballparks across the country have variations of philly cheesesteaks and chopped meat and cheese and onions and peppers is just always a really good combination i like it on nachos because that could be gluten-free um so montgomery biscuits of course a good food destination pensacola blue wahoo is one of the best in all of minor league baseball uh and in terms of the depths of their menu or the not the depths of the menu the expansiveness of their menu uh you know focused on things there like the cracker jack chicken and waffles with like a maple honey dipping sauce and it's all sprinkled with cracker jack dust um the cuban sandwich reimagined in taco form uh, another winner the smashed bullpen burger with two smash patties you know bacon uh cheese that kind of thing pineapple dole whip for dessert um, and I feel like even with that, I'm forgetting something. Oh, yes, a shrimp po' boy. Um, so hit up Pensacola if you can. You know, great, great food scene at Blue Wahoo's Ballpark. And Biloxi Shuckers, where you can get jambalaya uh, in a helmet. I think the only place, uh, only ballpark where you can get jambalaya in a helmet. You know, it's a good, it's a local cuisine in, in Mississippi, in the Gulf Coast, Mississippi region for sure. Um, also, they have a uh, partnership with a local barbecue company. And I'm oof, blanking on the name, but really good barbecue nachos uh there as well as well as homes homestand specials featuring things like uh Koneka sausage i believe that's how you pronounce it Koneka, c-o-n-e-c-u-h a uh, beloved southern sausage company as well anyway it's all rounded up in the latest newsletter i still got a couple more food roundups to do i always say this but believe it or not i still have a couple uh just road trip standalone articles profiling different people i met on the road uh still coming out in addition to of course, all the rebranding information uh, that you've come to expect and crave. All right, Ben. Well, uh, one of those is uh, already out there right now in uh, the Rome Emperors who will take the field under their new identity in 2024. And we got a chance to catch up with Dan Simon on this week's episode of the show before the show coming up next. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are delighted to be joined by Dan Simon of Studio Simon, a logo designer who has worked with, well, he probably knows the number, but dozens of minor league teams over a decades long career. Uh, you may not think you know his work, but you almost certainly do. It's all over the minor league baseball landscape, including some new marks that have just been released uh, last week and this week. So without further ado, Dan Simon, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm pretty excited to be speaking with you guys. Yeah, so where to begin? Um, as I said, you know, you've done so much work over so long, but we do have some new additions to the minor league landscape that, that you have worked on, uh, including the Rome, well, formerly the Braves, the Rome Emperors, and that logo was announced on Thursday night, uh, just yesterday. Um so what was the process working with that? You know, this is a team moving away from the parent club that it used to be owned by the parent club, establishing their own identity. Um, 
what was the process for you like working on the Rome emperors? Um, it was, uh, well, you, you mentioned I, I have, there are two recent things that, that I've done. Um, and they're two very, very different projects. The, the first one was the Greensboro Grasshoppers. And that was, that was a, what we would call a brand update. But in that case, we didn't even use the word update because it was kind of less of an update and more as we refer to it as a refresh. Um, because you had an identity that was um, ensconced in the Greensboro community. And we, it, it was done a long time ago. Um, it, it needed kind of some, uh, some love, uh, but we didn't want to reinvent the wheel actually far from it. Uh, and so we just, just gave it that love that I, that I mentioned and, 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 refreshed it but still stayed true to the roots in the case of the rome identity obviously everything went out the window and and we were creating uh, we, we had a team that was named after its parent club for 20 years um <clears throat> and now we were going to give it its own unique identity but something that was specific to uh to the the city of rome it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, Rome, Georgia, has m many things there that actually reference uh, the Rome, Italy. Um, you know, first of all, Rome, Italy is known for its seven hills. When I say it's known for it, I don't know how well people know about how many people know about that, but that is a thing. Seven hills, and there are these seven hills in. Um, in Rome, Georgia, I, I I think that's where the name originally came from. I'm not certain of that. Um, there's also a uh, an, an art piece, a, a large. I don't know if it's called a sculpture, but it's that's made of an it, it's an aqueduct. So they've got an aqueduct there, and then somewhere in the city they've got uh, they've got a labyrinth, and then there's. Uh, uh, there is there's a statue there that if i'm if i remember correctly was actually given to the city of rome by mussolini so and it, it's still it's still there wow. so obviously there it's not just called rome and then there's no real ties to rome there are many ties to rome there so um you know that led to a very rome centric brand identity here with the emperors um you know rome famous for its emperors and and so we developed a, a whole brand identity around that but in a very minor league way by um having it feature a with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. An emperor penguin as it's as the hero of of this brand identity system. So um, it was just so much fun to work on. Yeah, I was. I spoke recently with um, Rome Emperor's general manager David Lane, and you know he's was saying why they wanted to do the emperor name and how that ties into Rome, Georgia's connection to Rome, Italy. But they didn't quote one a Little Caesars looking dude as the primary logo for their team and then that of course brings in the emperor penguin and then the finished product is essentially a roman emperor penguin and um you know a lot of good signifiers in the logo uh with the roman use of the roman num numerals mmiii to signify uh the rome braves when they were founded in 2003 uh you know roman columns incorporated into the word mark but then there's like a logo trim that says like GA in, in a repeatable pattern. And that's one that I didn't even see until David mentioned it to me when I was talking to him. Um, you know, did, did you come up with that? Or when you're designing a logo, um, you know, how those little more subtle Easter egg like type things come in? Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Ben. It's, it's an Easter. Those are Easter eggs. It's the kind of thing 
I was actually showing this to my wife this morning. Um, she she had seen this before because sometimes I'll share things with her just to get opinions from a lay person. Um, even though she's married to a sports branding professional, she's not artistically inclined. So she's actually a really good audience or, or small focus group um, for me to ask because she, she sees things like a civilian sees things. Um, and when I showed it to her, I, I pointed that out, the thing you're referencing specifically, she said, oh, I didn't even I didn't even notice that. And I said, you really not you. Most people won't notice it. And it's not it's meant to be subtle. It's it's and then it's kind of the thing when you're then told about it, it's like, oh, look at that. You know, and I guess that's the beauty of Easter eggs. Um, and here, here's what's funny about about where that came from. Um, I my office is located just under a mile from my house, and I walk to work every morning. Um, and I walk home for lunch, and then back to work, and then back home. And on my walk, I go through this um, some of uh, the grounds of some apartments, and there was a um, a a plant pot on by this walkway and it had this this um uh, it had this roman pattern around or what appeared to be like a roman pattern around you know the rim of of this this planter and i was looking at it and and my first thought was i need i want to incorporate that a pattern like that into this brand identity and when I was working on it, you know, it just made this kind of concentric shape. And that that's a familiar thing in, in Roman design. And um, and when I looked at it, I was thinking, it, all of a sudden, it just hit me like, you know, a, a bolt of lightning. Wait, I can make that into a G and an A and have it still look like this Roman pattern and and we or or not pattern i guess it's more of a border um element um and we incorporated that into the primary logo and then there's a a secondary logo that's a, a roundel now by the way i'm even though i'm in the business i'm not even sure if it's roundel or roundel um <laughs> I that too. <laughs> i'm sorry how have you guys pronounced it i feel like i would go roundel like you said that's i think that's how i've said it I okay. think that's how I say it too, but you know what? It's, it's not a word I say out loud so much as write and read. That's a roundel, roundel. Yeah, I, I think that's <laughs> dealer's choice. It's like the word okay. cash or cachet. I don't know the C A C H E. I don't know how to. I don't know how to say that. There was a there was a comedian who did this little bit about um, how do you pronounce foyer? He said, and he said, is it foyer or foyer? And then the other guy says, I don't. I don't know. I'll ask my lawyer. So, um, <laughs> so Roundel, Roundel, maybe I'll ask my wife who's a lawyer. Um, uh, so, um, well, anyway, we, we incorporated it into the, into the Roundel. Um, and then also it's on, it's, it's the, the sleeve stripe detail. Um, so as opposed to a stripe, you've got this, this border pattern going around the sleeves of, of all three jerseys. So kind of a cool little thing. And, um, and it's for Georgia. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, obviously Tyler Mon here with us. I'm sure he has a lot of your work uh, on his hat wall back at home in Colorado. And I'm sure he has uh, some questions for you about maybe Rome or maybe just uh, logos in general, but uh, I feel it's time to hear from Tyler. He's, he's chomping. Yeah, go ahead. Hit me Tyler. Dan, I am very excited to, to finally get a chance to talk to you because I love all your work for so long. And one of the things that, that we find really interesting with minor league rebrands, especially these days, is we hear so often about the struggle to uh, nail down unique names um, that are not trademarked. And uh, for something like the Rome Emperors, it seems like, you know, that's something that somebody at some point would have snatched up. But it's so cool to me that that was um, out there for the franchise to have, because for so long, I felt like, man, a city named Rome 
and a team named after the parent club. Like, what a waste. What was the process to be able to land on something so classic as Rome Emperors? Is that something that the franchise knew that they really wanted right out of the gate? Were there other contenders really that were taken uh, strongly for this identity? Or how did that whole process come together? Well, there were definitely other contenders. Um, it's interesting. I don't know if it's interesting, but we'll talk about it anyway. Um, as Ben mentioned in his uh, introduction to this this conversation, um, I I do have a decades long career in sports branding, and when I first got into it, it was very rare for a team to come to me and ask for my 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 help or my business's help with coming up with a name. Most of the time, they would come to me with the name and then I would create oh, their identity. And with increased frequency, teams, I, I wish I could remember when it really started to happen, but it was it's definitely been in the past five, maybe even 10 years. Um it, it's happened with with much increased frequency. Um and and I love the process. It's so much fun. What 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 I have to do is I've, I've got to um, do a lot of research. Thank goodness for this thing I've got on my computer called the Internet, um, where, you know, you can find anything. Um, and and I love, you know, I all the things that I mentioned about Rome, Georgia, um, when we first started talking about this. I didn't know any of that stuff until I did the deep dive and you, you find out so much stuff like, like that they've got a statue there given to them by Mussolini. Like who it's, it's stuff like that. I just really love wild. I, I'm sorry. I just said that really is wild. I actually, while we were talking, I was looking it up and apparently that was like a thing for Mussolini that he would ship those, those Roman statues, the Romulus and Remus uh, feeding at the wolf he just shipped those like all over the world to tons of countries and towns and whatever. Apparently there are some others in the United States, but that I would have had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's such a, it's just such a cool thing. And and the fact that, that they've got an actual aqueduct there and all that kind and all that stuff. So I, I just love doing these, these, uh, as I referred to it, a deep dive into this and learn everything I possibly can about a particular city. Um, and then put on my uh, creative hat and try to think of, okay, what can we do with all of this information? Um, so there were, there, there were several, I'm trying to think, I, I'm trying to remember the presentation of, of name ideas. Um, there were several that came from, uh, that came from the idea of, of Rome, Italy. But then there were other things that were specific just to the area. Like for instance, they've got a um they've got a college there, Berry College, um, that matter of fact, I just saw an article that that said the 20, it was headlined the 25 most beautiful college campuses in the United States, and very high on the list, actually, it was in the top 10, it might have even been in the top five, was Berry College, because it's got, it's got, um, you know, in addition to beautiful buildings, it's got beautiful grounds. Um, and there are, like, acres and acres of, of land that, that, that's just beautiful there at, at Berry College, and there's a lot of deer there. Um, and so, and there are deer all throughout the, not just on the grounds of Berry College, but, you know, around their, their area. Um, and so there was, there was, one of the names was, was deer specific, um, you know, so that's something specific to um, Rome, Georgia, but not to Italy. So there were a, a whole host of names that were considered that was then whittled down to, I don't even remember how many um, I proposed. There was also, um, th they also solicited ideas from from the the community, um, uh, you know, a name the team uh, solicitation. And interestingly, even though I came up with the idea of emperors independently and the idea to, um, to do the emperor as an emperor penguin, there was, at least one submission by by the um, somebody from 
you know what, I don't know if it was the community or if this name the team thing was opened up to a nationwide thing, you know, with the internet now, everyone can can chime in and and, and make suggestions. Um, but there was somebody who who not only suggested the name emperors, but suggested that it be an emperor penguin. So independent of me coming up with the idea, somebody did come up with it. So it genuinely was, um, you know, the the ideas that came from the name the team, some you know submissions were um, were were very helpful as well, and and ended up being the exact same thing we were thinking of doing. So that's uh, that's where that's how that process went. <laughs> so cool, Dan. The uh, the era that we're in right now with. Uh, with minor league logos and um, you know the the whole concept of of these wacky team names and things that are uh, are wild and outlandish and out there, uh, this one already feels so um, classic. And you touch on the the penguin, uh, and I think it's it's perfect in the the brand guide. Um, there is a uh, there's a line describing the penguin that says uh, across all professional and college sports, there are only a handful of penguin mascots. Are there penguins in Rome, Georgia? No, but there are no Bengals in Cincinnati or Grizzlies in Memphis. And that's like your first thought when you think, oh, well, they went with a penguin logo. How many penguins are there? Well, that's true. There aren't a whole lot of Bengals in Cincinnati. The idea of getting to play around with the penguin. Um, how cool was that for you, especially something that, you know, that you came up with and other people at also suggested but it's not just a stoic all right let's keep it to columns and you know various iconography uh that's just specific to the concept of rome like being able to play with a penguin character had to be pretty fun definitely was um think about certain animals um i will put in there koala bears panda bears penguins uh those are three just off the top of my my head, but there are some animals that I don't think you can find anyone that doesn't like that particular animal. And like that's a good um, point. I I once uh, <laughs> I once I was <laughs> I was with my son Casey. I even remember where where this was. We were we were having lunch. This is like this is like ten years ago, 15, 15 years ago. We were having a sandwich at Subway. Um, not a sponsor of the podcast so free advertising for uh for subway um and we we saw a woman who had a tattoo on her leg of an elephant and i said to casey i said she she must really love elephants and um and but think about that I think in general, people probably like elephants, but it's not everybody's favorite animal. But even though a penguin is not necessarily everyone's favorite animal, everyone doesn't necessarily love elephants, but but everybody loves penguins. <laughs> so it was, it was, and by the way, speaking of my son, Casey, when he was a kid, that was his favorite animal, if not his favorite thing, penguins. I remember even making a birthday card for him that had a, a penguin on it because he loved penguins so much. So it's um, uh, he and we have a stuffed penguin at at home. So, yeah, it was I loved working with a penguin and I loved bringing it to the minor league baseball branding landscape. Well, and one of the things that I love that's kind of another uh, Easter egg is the I don't even know what the term in the in the toga community would have been for this, but like the pin that holds up the uh, you know the wrap around the penguin. That's a baseball. Uh, the the wrap itself is the is the red color. That's now the primary color uh, for this Rome franchise. But something that um, that I really love about this, and we talked about this with some other logos in recent years, uh, but I feel like, and I'm very thankful for this especially in minor league baseball, we seem to have moved away from the like angry animal character logo for so long. Everybody had to have just like a furious face on whatever mascot or logo it was that they unveiled. And this penguin, he's got like a little smirk, a little smile to him. He seems like he's having fun, which is something that's good for minor league baseball. Do you like the way that that's evolved? I feel like we, we have gone much more in the direction of like, oh yeah, minor league baseball is supposed to be fun. Let's have fun with these logos. That to me feels like a great step. Um, and it really embraces kind of the character of minor league baseball. Uh, how do you feel about the way 
the expressions on all of these logos have changed? Well, first, I well, I, I will agree with you, Tyler, that that is something you will see in most of the minor league brand identities I develop. However, if you look at, and, and I, I want to issue this caveat before I even say what I'm about to say, I'm not saying this is a, a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not speaking ill of my competitor at all, but you'll notice with Brandiosa's identity, uh, th their characters might be, because they're, you know, characters, um, you might use the word kind of cute to, to describe at least some of them. Their characters often tend to have like gritted teeth. So I, there, yeah. there is a certain ang anger look to their characters. Um, when, and, and you know what? They're, like I said, I don't mean, I, I'm not speaking ill of it. As a matter of fact, their identities are very, very popular. So the fans like it. So, so that works for them. When, well, and even at, at the college level and at the, the major league level, um, you know, in the big four sports, character logos seem to be, I'm, you know, down here broadcasting a, a college basketball tournament in Mobile, Alabama. The the team that I work for is playing Southern Illinois Edwardsville uh, today. They unveiled a new character logo uh, as of, I believe, last spring. And, you know, it's an angry cougar. And so it's it's one thing that I feel like minor league baseball has gone in a unique direction with, and there is some of that, but there's also some of like, oh, let's have fun with this too, which seems so different uh, from what, you know, college and professional teams at the major league level do. Well, it it, it is indeed different. And your your point is, is spot on. Uh, and the reason for that difference is the products are, are different. You, you touched upon this. Um, minor league baseball is, uh, it's for some operators, they will even go so far to say, you know, baseball, the baseball part is, is secondary to the fun family entertainment component of, of minor league baseball. Um, and even though you will see children at major league games and collegiate athletic events, um, the product of both of those, uh, both major major league sports and uh, collegiate sports is is not about family fun. It's it's about athletics at, at a very high level. Um, and even though the baseball being played, you've got various levels, obviously, from, you know, single, you don't have rookie ball anymore, from single A up to triple A. Um, and and it's still a high level of baseball, a and the product. It's not just that the product is the experience is that you go to a game and you know it's famously said, uh, you know you can at the end of the game you might not even be able to tell somebody you know somebody asks you how how the your night was at the ballpark right. you might not even be able to tell them who won but you you you'll know you'll be able to tell them you had a really good time, um, and so a, a brand identity whether it's for a minor league baseball team, whether it's for a pizza place, whether it's for a department store, it should reflect what the product is. And the, if your product's family fun, your logo should reflect that. And um, when I am doing these, um, the, the, the facial expressions on these characters, I, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be overly fun and happy it, it's uh it, it you know it, it's not like goofy you know it, disney's goofy um but you you want it to have you want it it's still representing a professional sports team so you want it to have some attitude but you you also want it to be approachable um and i try to find that that gray area between athletic and fun, but something still in the middle that that, like I said, is is approachable, but still has some attitude because it's also representing a uh, uh, professional athletes. All right, Dan, this is my final question for you. I've I've loved your work for so long, and it's so exciting to to get a chance to talk to you. I'm going away from your work for this question. The Rome Emperors 
your newest identity. Who is your favorite Roman emperor, Dan? Um, well, that would require me being able to name more than <laughs> one. <laughs> so um, right, that's fair. Um, I, I have to admit, and, and I, when I did, when when I was working on this identity, I talk, talked about all the research I did. I did research um, other Roman emperors, but I think if you ask a hundred people in the United States, 99 of them are going to say Julius Caesar first. Um, and I fall, I'm one of those 99. Okay. Um, and, and when we were working on this, I don't know if, if the, um, if the team has officially given this character a name, but I have referred to him as, as Julius. Julius um, the Penguin. I like that. Yes. Yeah, so whether that ends up being his name or not, I don't know. That's up to the team, whether they want to have a name, the penguin contest or, uh, or, or whether they're just going to go with that. Um, that's for them to decide. I give them the tools that they need to, um, to, uh, you know, uh, achieve their goals and, and realize their vision. And then it's up to them how they want to run with it. I like that. Yeah. Well, for the record, I'm a Caligula guy. Wow. <laughs> I'm going Marcus Aurelius in this conversation. So we got three different votes. Caligula. Caligula would be a very interesting name for the logo slash mascot. Yeah, I don't think a family-friendly organization is going. <laughs> Nero, maybe. Nero could be a thing. You know, carry around. Yeah, Nero, that's a good one. The, the thing is, it's um, you always have to be careful with these things because you end up naming s something after somebody, and then you find out that, right. that somebody has... Uh, oh, that person was actually horrible. Right. <laughs> Right. Which I think by modern standards, we could look at every Roman emperor and think, oh, you are you're, you're not a not my kind of guy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, Dan, like, you know, uh, as Tyler recently uh, put it in a Slack message, you know, he says uh, we could talk to you for hours. We will not do that. So I'm sure you have things to do. But before we let you go, um, I'm just kind of curious where you are right now in your own work schedule your work in november and december gets a lot of attention in the world of minor league baseball because that's when it's unveiled but obviously these are projects you had been working on you know well prior to the unveiling so in you know as the calendar year concludes you know kind of where are you at in your in your process in terms of working with clients and projects and things like that well that that opens up a uh, a whole can of worms ben uh, <laughs> the Right now, I I am indeed very, very busy. And the reason for that is um, this is something, this is a peek behind the curtain that most fans, not only do they not know, but um, they, they wouldn't even think about because they, they're not in this business and they don't need to think about it. But um, because minor league baseball and major league baseball has a single um licensee who does their caps new era cap company um and because of all the caps that are done think about this you've got 120 minor league teams 30 major league teams in the minor leagues especially you then have all these alternate identities well before the alternate identities just take their your uh, minor league team's principal identity um you teams will have anywhere from 2 to 7 caps okay just with their regular identity then you've got alternate identities like you know the the fresno tacos and the uh the charleston boiled peanuts etc cetera, etc cetera. um teams have multiple many teams have multiple alternate identities then you've got the copa de la diversion identities um you've got the marvel <laughs> identities um so you know there there are so many take 120 minor league teams and multiply that by all of the different caps they have. There's hundreds and hundreds of caps. Um, then you will also have, like I said, the major league caps and other people that, uh, uh, or, or leagues that, that new era works with. Um, and you factor in the, the, the fact that all of those caps are produced overseas. They have to be done so far in advance. 
December 4th, right now we're at November 16th, December 4th is the deadline for final cap artwork for all, all of the official on-field caps, not the alternate identities, not the COPA identities, but all of the principal identities caps is the deadline for 2025. Wow. December 4th, 2023 is the deadline for cap artwork for 2025 minor league baseball principal brand identities. So, um, Right and right now we're down to crunch time because it is whatever three weeks from them with a holiday in um, in between, um, and so I'm I I've got yeah. I, well I, I'm everything else has been done the the other teams have have been done but I kind of had a bomb dropped on me frankly just a few weeks ago where I had I have to do a whole team identity and get that cap artwork finalized by December 4th. So um, yeah, I'm pretty busy right now because of that deadline. 15 months before these caps will see the field of play, the artwork is due for them. That so, is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. There's so many moving parts and behind the scenes stuff that goes on with, uh, you know, bringing these logos and team names to life. Uh, well, Dan, we'll let you get back, back to the crunch and uh, back, back meeting all but really appreciate you, you know, joining the show before the show podcast. And of course, as always, looking forward to seeing what else you got coming up in the coming weeks, days, months, years, and whatever else is going on. So thanks so much. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on. This was fun talking with you guys. Ben, Tyler, thank you so much for having me on. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club or player hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One played every single inning. The others never appeared in a single outing. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Thunder Bay Thugs. B. The Paris Bruisers. C. The Beaumont Roughnecks. You've shown tough stuff if you've picked C, the Beaumont Roughnecks, who clouded about in the Texas League for two seasons in the 1950s. Beaumont, just a tick up the Neches River from the Gulf of Mexico harbor city of Port Arthur, fielded a team called the Beaumont Exporters for several decades at the beginning of the 20th century, and in 1946 took on a working agreement with the Yankees, which the Roughnecks kept. For more on the exporters, import episode 372 of the show before the show onto your Radioland receiving device. But let's not get caught looking back. No rubbernecking. Today we're shipping out the exporters and talking roughnecks, who took their name from oil industry slang. The oil industry being Beaumont's big business, both historically and at the time. The franchise's drilling for a new name coincided with a managerial change born out of unfortunate necessity. Martin Chick Autry had helmed Beaumont for the past two seasons when he suffered a fatal heart attack in late January of 1950 at his winter home of Colonel's Island, Georgia. The man brought in to replace him was already baseball royalty. To be specific, the Rajah. In 1950, the 54-year-old Rogers Hornsby had already been in the Hall of Fame as a player for eight years and had big league managing experience with the Cardinals, Giants, Braves, Reds, and Browns. But when Beaumont hired Hornsby, he hadn't held a managing or coaching job since helming the Veracruz Blues down in Mexico in 44. At the reins for Beaumont, Hornsby started a journey that would bring him back to the big show in two years' time. 
And the record suggests that Hornsby's return to the dugout was a smooth transition. Yes, the Roughnecks uniform fit Hornsby to a Texas T, and the team named for oil workers played pretty slick ball, with plenty of gas from the pitchers, combustible hitting, and runners who burned up the bases. That 50 Beaumont club had Gil McDougal, soon to be the 1951 American League Rookie of the Year with the Yankees, as well as 10 other players who had appeared or would eventually appear in a big league game. Those roughnecks routed not a few of their opponents, beating up the whole circuit to go 91-62, and 62, with McDougal leading the loop with 187 hits. But it was a bad break for the roughnecks in the playoffs, as the San Antonio Missions beat them in the first round four games to nine. As if that wasn't bleak enough for Beaumont, Hornsby skedaddled to Seattle to manage the 51 Rainiers in the Pacific Coast League, and the Roughnecks resorted to placing at the helm one Harry Kraft. Kraft was a crafty baseball man, to be sure. He later managed the Kansas City A's and the Chicago Cubs and the Houston Colt 45s, but could he match the noble presence of the great Rajah? History says no. The Roughnecks finished fourth under his management in 51, and seventh out of eight in 52. But the roughest news for the Roughnecks came in 53, when Beaumont brought back the exporter's moniker. And that's how the Roughnecks were sanded down. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. for next time. Which of these players had a sickly steep name in the minors of yesteryear? A. Puke Pyle B. Ralph Mountain C. Spew Heathcliff Want to know the answer? Sip some ginger ale. Or tune into the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is looking for a decorative gourd, and I've got to hide my head. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, just the biggest thanks uh, from us to Dan Simon of Studio Simon for joining us on this week's episode. We also, uh, when we hung up, we sat and talked music for like 30 minutes uh, with Dan. He took down a couple of bands that I named, and I feel like I, I don't want to let Dan Simon down. If if he listens to the bands that I recommended and he doesn't like them, I'm going to be devastated. Yeah, that's why I keep everything to myself. Yeah. I don't want anything, anyone to not like something I like, so it's better to just hoard it, keep it to myself, uh, than, smart to, plan. than to you know champion anything that then people check out and they're like, "What? What is this?" Um, not really. You've got I, terrible taste. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would I I used to a lot more, especially when I had in the old Ben's Biz blog days. I'd go out of my way to make references to bands I like. You know, have little Easter egg links to different song titles if I was able to work it into a post really uh, go deep on all the record stores I visited. And I still do a little of that now on social media and whatnot. But after a while, I was just kind of like, you're just trying to tell people that you're really into cool, diverse underground music, but how many people are really engaging you with it? So I don't uh, make it as much of a thing anymore just because I didn't feel like I was getting as much engagement and I was starting to feel a little too, too precious with all of it. But man, I do love music. I got a lot of records at home. And in this era of my life, it's hard to listen to all the records I buy. And I have an elaborate rotation system in which I try to process everything I buy and listen to it a certain amount of times. And it's just, it's just way backed up. Uh, too much music, too little time. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I hear you. Um, all right, Ben. Uh, we are nearly set to wrap this week's episode of the show before the show. Presumably at some point, Sam Dykstra will emerge from the wilderness from his... Uh, his travails through the the western expanses of this continent uh i would assume he's going to have a big giant burly beard and he's going to be uh you know enlightened as to the the meaning of life given how long he's been away uh, exploring um and i'm excited for that moment but uh we we don't we don't yet have it i guess we have to wait until next week yeah we'll find out i mean sam's already so enlightened probably the most enlightened person i've ever met you know always has the correct opinions 
his moral standing is unimpeachable. So uh, who knows how even more refined he will be by the time he gets back to us. His glow will emanate even just even in a non-visual medium. And you'll just be so glad he's back. Can't wait. What else we got to cover before we get out of here? Uh, I don't think really. It's a slow time of year. You know, there is a dearth of content. It's dearth filled. Um, Dearth filled. A contradiction in terms. Um, On a special dearth filled episode of show before the show. But hey, we've talked about Rome Braves quite a bit uh, on this episode, obviously. Um, The Rome Braves, that franchise has operated consecutively since 1968 but and it's always been a been an atlanta affiliate named the braves until this recent name change to the emperor to the emperors but you know that rome that franchise played in four locations prior to arriving in rome georgia going back to 1968 i would only have been able to name one of them tyler can do you have any idea of uh, the four places that the rome braves played or now rome emperors franchise played before landing in rome um, I, I should, I should know. I should, oh, actually, I think I do know one Columbus, Georgia. That is a good guess, but incorrect. there was a team in Columbus, Georgia, the catfish, uh, up into the 21st century, but then they moved to, I cannot recall. We'll have to look that up, but it's not Columbus, Georgia. Man, I'm not sure I know any of these, which I feel I when I uh, my first minor league job was with the team that was the level above Rome. So like all of our guys who got promoted or sent down would go to or from Rome. Uh, so I feel like I should. have, And that was in 2009 when I started working in the minors, which was only six years after the establishment of the Rome Braves, which means I certainly should have come across at least some reference to wherever Rome was previously. Was it in Georgia? Uh not always. It had been some iterations. This team, and I do not recall this, this team started in 1968 uh, in the Western Carolinas League, kind of a precursor to today's Sally League. Uh, they started out as the Greenwood Braves from 1968 to 79 in Greenwood, South Carolina. Huh. I would not have known. I don't even know of Greenwood, South Carolina. Yeah. Then they had a short run in Anderson. The Anderson, South Carolina Braves. Okay. uh, Just for several years. But after the 1984 season, so they played about five years in in Anderson. After the 84 season, they moved to Sumter, South Carolina to establish the Sumter Braves. And they lasted there through 1990. And then they made it to Georgia. And this is the only one I would have been able to tell you going into this and ended up the Macon Braves. Oh yeah, the Macon Braves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the only one I would have known, but you can trace it back to consecutive operation in Greenwood, South Carolina, Anderson, South Carolina, Sumter, South Carolina, Macon, Georgia, and then Rome, Georgia. And from 1968 all the way through 2023 season, that team was always the Braves. So it gives you a little bit of a indication that this is a big move for this franchise to go away from the Braves name and become the Rome Emperors. Macon, a town famous for a uh, a former minor league hockey team there named the Macon Whoopie, which was uh, a little too risque for my taste. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I also did not know this until looking it up just now, but their logo um, was a a whooping crane, which was being harassed by a bee. And the play on that there was the birds and the bees. That's wow. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. I a lot happening there. Might might have to uh, contact oh. a Congress person or two about that. See if they can maybe call this, it. This wow. vulgarity will not last. They apparently were only around for five years, nineteen ninety six to two thousand one. The making whoopee. Okay, um, and then it's it's too far in the past. I'm no longer exactly. Sure. We don't we don't need to be a we don't need to be. Now we can just pass judgment on it. And in, in you know those people in the late nineties, what were they doing? Yeah, hedonists hedonists they were. All right. well that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show a huge thanks to dan simon for stopping by uh next week obviously a holiday week we have yet to nail down our plan for next week but you know we'll be with you next week the week after whenever it's the dearth of the off season there will not be a dearth of thanksgiving food i'm very excited for the opposite of dearth the bounty in fact um ben what are your plans for uh what are you guys doing for thanksgiving does henry eat the turkey yet 
Well, that'd be Harry. Did Harry. I say Henry? Yeah, Did Harry up. does Harry eat the turkey yet? Uh, he'll have like a bite or two, but for the most part, he'll just advocate constantly for what he calls smoothies, like smoothies, but they're just the uh, little like yogurt, flavored yogurt in a cup. He's obsessed with those. So ah, okay. Thanksgiving was up to him. It'd just be a bunch of smoothies, but he'll have a little turkey. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to the Poconos. Uh, we did this last year in my family. We don't, we lack kind of a central place with enough room to accommodate. So going to the Poconos for a long Thanksgiving re- uh, weekend and having, having a meal out there in the, the Pocono mountains. That sounds so, fun. Should be good. That sounds fun. Uh, tell Harry, we all wish him happy Thanksgiving and to make a friend named Henry at some point. I will tell him just that when I get home, and uh, I'm sure he will appreciate that. <laughs> for sure. And uh, what about you, Tyler? Before we get out of here, I think I, I am actually to- I am headed uh, your way. Uh, well, I, you know, my aunt she doesn't listen to this podcast. Nobody tell my aunt that I'm coming out there. Going out there to surprise my aunt, uh, who's we ordinarily do um thanksgiving in new york but you know i've worked in college basketball the last seven years several years i guess it is seven years weirdly um which ordinarily were um you know playing on that day or that weekend this year that's not the case uh my aunt in new york city has dealt with some health issues so uh the wife and i are going to go out and be part of that thanksgiving and i'm very excited about it but if you know my aunt please don't tell her anyone don't tell my aunt that we're coming I think your secret's safe, but you can never tell. <laughs> I'll be very actually. If it does get back to my aunt, because someone listens to this podcast who knows her, I think that would be kind of a cool way to have the surprise ruined. That is a surprise in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, a happy Thanksgiving to all of you. We'll be back to catch you soon. For Ben Hill, Sam Dykstra, Josh Jackson, our huge thanks to Dan Simon. My name is Tyler Mon. Happy Thanksgiving next week, everybody. We'll catch you then.